needed. If you have a Bible, you can open to Romans chapter 8. The text is printed in the bulletin for you also. Um, This is our last week in our summer series on the Trinity. Um, Just to let you know where we're going real briefly, uh, the next two weeks, Nathan Lewis will be here preaching, and he's going to go from Isaiah, a couple passages uh, in Isaiah. And then after that, um, kind of start a new series, it's the beginning of the school year, all the things become new and fresh and exciting and energetic and everything, and so we're going to do um, a series on Colossians that will probably take us right up until Advent. Um, and then starting in Advent, maybe what we're going to do is a series on the life of Christ, so, uh, which would take us through till Easter. Um, so Nathan Lewis the next two weeks, Colossians for the, the fall, and then maybe the, the life of Christ after that. So, um, <clears throat> But the Trinity, there, there's a sense in which I feel like you've been uh, graciously indulging me in my uh, way too deep and complex theological explorations on the Trinity. Um, <clears throat> you know, perichoresis, theosis, the equal uh, ultimacy of God's unity and multiplicity. I mean, what did these things have to do at all with the human reality of our everyday experience, right? Um, I'm convinced, though, that uh, this, this isn't just the stuff of the scholars, um, but really all Christians should pursue a deeper understanding of who God is, a deeper delight in who God is, and uh, what, what deeper can you go than exploring God as triune? Uh, Thomas Aquinas, who uh, we've quoted a bunch of times, a 13th century Italian uh, Dominican friar, priest, theologian, doctor, guy. Um, uh, He said that the purpose and the fruit of the whole of life is the knowledge of the Trinity in unity, that that we would know the triune God in union with him. Um, That's the purpose of our whole life. That's the fruit of our whole life. So um, seeing all of life in light of the one who gave it to us, ought to be the top priority for anybody who has life. And, um, and as our eternal destiny as believers is blessed union with this triune God, where we come to know him more and more forever, um, then we expect that our best explorations here in this life are basically just barely going to be scratching the surface. Um, so this morning, uh, I want us to think a little bit about that eternal destiny which is often referred to in the scripture as glory, glory, Um, and how our hope of glory, which is based on the Trinity, uh, carries us through this life, really through everything in this life, even our death, uh, especially just carries us through sufferings, right? Our hope of glory um, carries us through the here and now, especially through our sufferings. So let's pray, and then we'll read from Romans 8. Father, we thank you for being who you are, for loving us, for sending your son Jesus into the world for us, for inspiring through your spirit the prophets and apostles to write your holy word, to record the gospel of Jesus Christ for us, to record their um, spirit-inspired thoughts about the gospel for us so that we would come to know you truly through Jesus Christ as he's revealed in your word. And so we come to you this morning with no other hope, no other prayer than that you would be present to us, that you would shape our minds and our hearts by your spirit as we consider your word, we pray in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope, for who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So everyone here has uh, suffered to some degree or another. Uh, Some of you have suffered a lot through your lives. Some of you haven't lived quite long enough to suffer much more than having your parents tell you, no, you can't have that. Um, Some of you probably uh, consider it suffering to sit there right now um, on Sunday mornings. Uh, Some of you are experiencing uh, in this time of your life real sufferings. And um, and maybe... uh, reading a passage like this just somehow helps. Right? It just helps. Uh, maybe you don't fully understand why it helps. It just seems hopeful. Right? There's something good about it that just helps through suffering. In general, um, when we encounter suffering, I think we probably don't spend too much time um, really thinking clearly about it. Right? In general, we probably don't think too clearly when we encounter suffering. Uh, we don't just sit there and 
investigate our pain, contemplate it, right? We don't sit there and analyze why this suffering is so hard. We don't sit there and examine why we respond the way that we do to our suffering. We don't consider how maybe we should respond to our suffering differently than we do. Um, While we're suffering, we don't necessarily think about what we need in order that we could respond differently um, to our suffering. Uh, So we'll do that a little bit now so that maybe you'll sort of know where to turn to next time you encounter suffering or um, maybe even find some hope through your current sufferings. Um, That's kind of key, isn't it? I mean, hope hope is kind of a key um, to suffering Uh, because suffering without hope is just pain. But suffering with hope that's when um, suffering can become endurable, right? Um, if there's a light at the end of the tunnel, then it makes traveling through the tunnel, traveling through the darkness, um, just a little bit easier, doesn't it? Well, the light that is at the end of the tunnel for Christians is so bright, so glorious, it, it pretty well lights up the whole tunnel. Um, so much so that the apostles can tell us things like James does in chapter 1 of his epistle, count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Or the apostle Paul, uh, a little bit earlier in Romans, in chapter 5, he says, we rejoice in our sufferings. Um, these, uh, these statements are not to minimize the seriousness of our sufferings, um, as if it weren't that really big of a deal and um, you should be able to just kind of handle it. Uh, it's not to pretend that there's no such thing as suffering, which uh, some religions in the world would have us do. Uh, just kind of block it out of our mind as a, a possibility for us to experience pain. Um, our trials are real. But what I'm saying is that if you're a Christian, <clears throat> you can be so equipped with the hope of glory that you can pretty much walk through anything in this life. You can even walk through your death. Uh, Christians used to be good at that, um, walking through death, even with joy, because of the hope of glory. Paul says in our passage in verse 18, he said, I, I consider that the sufferings of this present time, so that like all of them, are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For Paul to say that is, is probably some, it's more than, uh, than if any of us were going to say that, right? Because Paul was no stranger to suffering, uh, real suffering that would probably make most of our sufferings look actually like a walk in the park, right? Uh, we have kind of first world sufferings. Uh, Paul, Paul knew real suffering, but his vision of God, his vision of glory, it gave him perspective on his suffering that made him able to rejoice. So, we're not just talking about moping around because you just got stoned and imprisoned and shipwrecked and bitten by a snake, right? Um, we're talking about having something recognizable as joy when you got stoned, imprisoned, shipwrecked, and bitten by a snake um, because your vision of glory was so great, because your vision of God was so great. 
So what is glory? Um, if you're going to slap a title on this sermon, it'll be the Trinity and glory. Um, Throughout the Bible, the word is uh, the word for glory. That's Hebrew and um, and Greek words for glory are used in a few different ways. But the way that Paul's using it here in this passage is with reference to eternity. Right? That's um, fairly clear from the text. Uh, in the wonder of our triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, um, He lived eternally before the foundation of the world hard to wrap your mind around that there was a time where he created time and before that time there was true time eternity where God lived in glory right before God made anything including time itself he existed in blessed communion in pure love and joy and glory is a way of talking about that reality it's the eternality of the trinity where nothing else existed only him, only God, only Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But that, uh, that eternal reality was highlighted especially by the sublime uh, beauty and joy of the relationships of the Trinity. That's, that's what glory is talking about, right? Uh, joyful eternity and beautiful eternity. Glory is the full, um, we talked a little bit about it a couple weeks ago, it's the full manifestation of God himself in his own perfections, first and foremost, in himself as he is uh, apart from his creation, right? But then also um, as he is toward his creation as the manifestation of himself, it compels our joy. It compels our worship and our love and our delight in him, our ascribing him worth and honor in response to who he is. So again, we talked about glory a few uh, weeks ago from John 17 and said that in that passage it actually refers to the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is in a sense, the glory of God. He's God, um, <clears throat> the third person of the Trinity is the manifestation of God. He's God coming toward us for our enjoyment of God, uh, especially as he is the, the eternal love that the Father has for the Son and the Son has for the Father. Right? So um, in our passage this morning, Paul's talking about glory with reference to our future everlasting experience of the whole Trinity. The whole Trinity, which um, is our destiny as Christians to live with God forever, especially as that experience is characterized by our delight in his beauty. Right? He, could, he could have said heaven or he could have said the new heavens and the new earth, but he's calling it glory because it's delightful and it's joyful. Uh, that's the characteristic of God's presence forever that the apostle is trying to highlight here. <clears throat> and that is, after all, the whole point of our salvation. It's the whole point of Jesus Christ becoming a human, living for us, dying on the cross for us, and being raised from the dead for us. The ultimate goal of our creation and our salvation in Christ is deification. It's that, that crazy, scary word. Um, it means being caught up into the life of God, not being made God but being caught up into God's life, being made partakers of the divine nature, as Peter says, being adopted into the Son's place in the Trinity, enjoying the Son's relationship with the Father as the Father's children uh, through the Spirit. Right? That's, um, that's, that's, the, that's the goal of our creation. It's the goal of our salvation. And when you get to do that, not now, 
so much being the focus of the text, but when you get to do that face-to-face with God forever, that's glory. Uh, At the end of time as we know it, the Lord Jesus Christ will return. He'll bring all things to completion. He'll make all things new. He'll judge all peoples. And uh, one of the big things that happens that day, it's the day of the great resurrection. Right? When all of those who trust in Jesus will be granted immortal bodies. Those who are dead will be raised to everlasting life. Those who are still alive when Jesus returns will be uh, overclothed with everlasting life. So they won't have to experience death. Those will be the lucky ones. right? That's what we should hope for. Um, but the, the, the resurrection... We who trust in Christ will be made perfectly human, even as Jesus is perfectly human. We'll be made to live forever in God's presence without sin, without sadness, in such a way that we we won't even think about those things anymore, Um, which is what our Old Testament reading says. That's the day when everything will be made new, everything will be set right, when everything that that God made, all of creation, which had been a gift from the Father to the Son, will be given back to God the Father by the Son. All things will be summed up in Christ and given back to the Father, including ourselves, so that, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, God may be all in all. Our reality will be caught up forever into the reality of the Trinity. And the glory shared by the Father and the Son in the Spirit will be shared by us for eternity in the new heavens and the new earth. And that glory will be characterized by our joyful freedom to love, even as God loves, uh, with complete and pure and self-giving love without suffering anymore. No more suffering. Um, we have this promise to us in the guarantee of the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. In uh, verses 15 through 17 of our passage, it says, You have received the spirit of adoption as sons. So it's the spirit who places you in the place of the Son in the Trinity. So you're adopted into the place of the Son by the Spirit by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So you have that relationship with the Father that the Son has because the Spirit lives in you and is is enabling you to to cry out to to the Father as your Father, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ. Heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. The Spirit comes alongside our spirit and testifies to us that we're children of God, which means that as the Father gives himself to the Son, so the Father gives himself to us. We inherit God. God is our inheritance because we are fellow heirs with Christ by God's grace. Everything that uh, is coming to Christ, everything that's coming to the second person of the Trinity is coming to us. And that means God is ours. God is our inheritance because in the Son, the Father is our Father. Um, So it says, again, in in verse 17, If children, then heirs of God 
and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. That's the part we didn't want to hear. Eternal glory will be love without suffering, but for now as God's children, we have love with suffering. We have love through suffering. Even as Christ, the very Son of God, had love through suffering. God has chosen to reveal his glory, to reveal his love through suffering. In terms of chronology, the order of things, suffering comes first, then glory. It was so with the Son of God himself. Do you know what God did in choosing to create this world in the first place? He chose to love through suffering. In himself, in the relationships of the Trinity, God had enjoyed perfect, mutually reciprocated, delighted, eternal love in himself. And knowing all things before he made anything, he knew full well that his pure and perfect and other-oriented and self-giving love would be met in this world with sinful self-love. The sinful self-love of fallen humanity. And that is suffering. That's real and true suffering. To love the other. And that's not reciprocal. To love the other, yet not to be loved, for the other to love itself. That's, that's real suffering. In our self-love, <clears throat> we have broken the world. We've corrupted this place that was meant to be, actually, the bridal chamber of all reality. The place where the eternal God and his people would come together to delight in one another forever. We broke it in our self-love, and now all creation groans, all creation groans in longing for restoration. It says in our text, uh, verses 19 and following, the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God, that's us, Um, for us to be made known fully and finally. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies." We've already been adopted as sons. He's talking about that time where it will be made clear and perfect forever, the redemption of our bodies, the resurrection. Uh, For in this hope we were saved. So all creation groans. All creation is waiting for the resurrection to happen, for the time when the sons of God are revealed, the redemption of our bodies. Even we who have the Spirit, we have the Spirit. We have the promise. We have the assurance of eternal glory. Even we suffer. Maybe even we especially suffer 
And this whole reality is broken. We're the ones who broke it because we rejected God's love. We turned inward upon ourselves. And so Martin Luther says that we shall be the best philosophers and the best students of nature when we learn of the apostle to regard nature as one that waits, groans, and travails, or as one that abominates what now is and desires what is to be and is not yet. This world is not the way that it's supposed to be. And we'll be the best students of this world. We'll be able to explain it the best if you acknowledge the fact it's not the way it's supposed to be. The whole world is waiting for the resurrection to be made new. And knowing all of this was coming, this groaning, this travail, this pains of childbirth, knowing that all of this was coming, God chose to create for love. And because the greatest exercise of his inexhaustible love, his unimaginable love, the greatest exercise of it was to love through suffering, to give himself to his enemies, which when it was just the Trinity, he had no enemies, to give himself to his enemies, to convert them by his love, and to bring them into his own family, to draw forth praise from their transformed hearts that have been captured by his love, by his glory. That's the greatest expression of love that there could be. And so God chose to create this place, even knowing what we would do to it. And God's glory, God's joy, is greater for the suffering that he endured. God's glory is greater for the suffering that he endured. It says clearly in Hebrews chapter 12, Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. He did not like this suffering. He endured it. He despised it. And he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. For the joy that was set before him, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who perfectly reveals God to us because he is the Son of God, he went to the cross for love, he went to the cross to forgive our sins, to free us from our self-love, to reconcile us to God for love with him in eternal life. And in order to do this, which meant joy for him, he had to suffer and he had to die first. This suffering was the ultimate expression of God's love. And there's a sense in which his love had to suffer this way in order for it to find its ultimate expression. There's a sense in which God created the world, which we would break so that he could fix it with his love. Through his suffering. So that his love would be able to overcome the greatest obstacle even death itself, to bring people like us, his chosen people, to glory. Hebrews chapter 2 says that it was fitting that he, God the Father, it was fitting that he, 
for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. Our Savior, the Son of God, was made perfect through suffering. He's the perfect Son of God. The text says he was made perfect through suffering. His love was given opportunity to express itself in a way that it never had before. As he was stripped and beaten and nailed and hung up to choke on the cross for love of you, for love of us, to save us for God, to bring us to glory where we, his enemies, could obtain life in his presence forever. You and I are encouraged to follow him, the one who was made perfect in his sufferings, to suffer for joy's sake ourselves because joy is our destiny, but we'll have to suffer first. Um, Our Old Testament reading from Isaiah 65 is a beautiful passage. Read it again. God says, behold. Pay attention to this, right? Behold. I create new heavens and a new earth. And the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. But be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem, my people, to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and be glad in my people. God's going to be glad in us. He rejoice in us. No more shall be heard in it the sound of weeping and the cry of distress. No more. Right? This life, this present time, is full of weeping and distress. But the unshakable promise of God is that the next life will have none of it. That in fact, the gladness and joy that we have then in our delight in God and his delight in us, it'll be worth all the sufferings. God's glory, God's joy is greater for the suffering he endured, our joy. Our glory is greater for the suffering that we endure. That's what Paul says in verse 18. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing to the glory that's to be revealed in us. And he says in another place, even more profoundly in 2 Corinthians 4, this light momentary affliction, stonings, imprisonment, shipwrecks, being bitten by poisonous snakes, this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. It says in our passage in 828, We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. All things in our life, especially including suffering in this context, the net result of it is a positive gain. The apostle is trying to convince us that our sufferings are more than just obstacles to be overcome by God's love. They're actually means through which he brings us into glory and increases our joy. Because it was the means through which Christ attained glory and joy. So the whole point is this. Never interpret your suffering as God's abandonment of you. 
Never interpret your suffering as God's cruelty towards you or his lack of care for you. Your suffering is not proof that God has withdrawn his love from you. Your suffering is not a declaration that God has rejected you. It is not even a hint that you are exiled from his glory. Those are all things that we're tempted to believe. Believe that we're forsaken through our sufferings. He does this with all of his saints. All of his saints. And no one suffered more than the Son of God. And now his name is the name which is above every name. And it will be forever. He's the heir of God. And he's freely given you his spirit to guarantee that everything that he has is yours. He's given you his spirit. We're fellow heirs with Christ. Provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So if our suffering is not God's communicating to us that we are despised or rejected or forsaken by him. If our suffering is actually the means to glory. Then we can rejoice. Or at least not be depressed, anxious, and worried, right? Remember Paul's suffering as a minister? Others, others thought that they could point to his sufferings as proof that actually, you know what? He's not a minister. He's not, God doesn't have favor for this guy. But Paul knew his suffering was a means of glory. It was a means of gospel proclamation. It was a means of life for everybody that he talked to. Because if the hope of glory, if the hope, if a vision of glory, the hope of glory puts a smile on your face while you're stoned, imprisoned, shipwrecked, bitten by a snake, then that's a testimony to the greatness of that glory. It's a testimony to the, the gospel message itself. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But, but we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. We are afflicted in every way but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. Rather than be crushed, driven to despair, feeling forsaken and destroyed, you can trust in Christ who is supremely trustworthy. He's given his life for you. He's supremely trustworthy that just as it was for him, glory for you will only be greater for your sufferings. The Spirit helps us to pray that way, right? This is maybe not so much the, the way that we uh, think about this text. We think, you know, oh, I just don't know how to pray, and, but the Spirit helps me, right? Um, it, it's almost more of a challenge. We, you don't know how to pray for glory. If all you're doing is asking to, to be delivered from your suffering, 
there's a better way to pray. And the Spirit helps you do that, right? The Spirit helps us when we're weak to pray for eternity, to pray for glory as the sons and daughters of God, to pray that we would follow our older brother through suffering, to pray for our preparation for glory through suffering rather than only to pray for escape from the suffering. The Spirit prays for us. And the Spirit leads us to pray that we would be more accepting of God's will for us. The Spirit leads us to pray that we would be more, more than content to know that he's working all things together for our good. The Spirit helps us, he prays for us that we would look forward with anticipation to the glory that awaits us that our current sufferings are actually preparing us for. This light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory. And those prayers are groaning prayers. They are painful prayers. But they're hopeful prayers because he's the spirit of adoption who assures you of the Father's love, who assures you that the inheritance, that, that glory in God's presence is yours. He says that those whom he predestined, he, he foreknew you, he, he saw you, and he loved you, he set his love on you even though there was nothing in you to deserve it, and he predestined you for this glory. He set it out before the foundation of the world that you would be his son or daughter through faith in Christ. He called you to faith in Christ, and those whom he called he also justified. He removed the, the penalty from your, uh, of your sins through Christ on the cross, and he gave you all of Christ's righteousness as uh, considering it as your own. He justified, and those whom he justified, he also, past tense, glorified. Past tense, by God's grace. Because from eternity's standpoint, your glorification is done. Your, your glorification is done. It's not just as good as done, it's done. From the point of view of eternity. And that's good news for us. Karl Barth, just to close, says, in in the eternity before us, the groaning of creation will cease, and man will be the reflection and echo of God, and therefore the witness to the divine glory that reaches over to him, rejoicing with the God who himself has eternal joy and himself is eternal joy. Now that's glory. And that's the free gift of the Trinity for those who trust in Christ. So put your faith in him. Amen. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, um, as we all suffer, um, we complain or we uh, mope about in despair. Um, or maybe sometimes at our best we try to just take it stoically, but uh, these things are not enough. We pray that you would teach us even though our suffering is hard and in itself is nothing to be uh, desired, yet it is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory that cannot be imagined, even the same glory that was set before Christ as joy, the reason for which he went to the cross. All that is his is ours. Because he lives, so we too shall live. And so we rejoice that we are fellow heirs with him, that we will live forever with you um, in mutual love and delight forever in glory. Uh, 
And we pray that you would drive a vision for that, a hope of glory that is sure because of your spirit who lives in us. Drive that home into our hearts in a way that truly sustains us through all of our sufferings. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.